Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the game day edition of the Michigan Man. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We're 4-0 and and it's the bye week. Too early for a midterm report card, but there is still a lot to talk about. My guest today will be Michigan great Greg Skrepinik. Greg was a two-time consensus first-team All-American tackle and a captain his senior year. We'll get his thoughts on the offensive struggles, the defense, and what he thinks of the quarterback situation. On Thursday, we won't have a visitor's show because, again, it's the bye week. So Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports will be with me on this month's Michigan Man Extra. We'll get a recruiting update and Steve's thoughts on the season to date. Before we bring in Greg Skrempenik, my view from Section 17. I'll keep it short, because our segment with Greg is about 40 minutes. We're 4-0 to start the season. For some fans, it's a nervous 4-0. For others, it's an unimpressive 4-0. For me, it is a very good 4-0. Here is why. I didn't know for sure how the offense would start the year, but my hunch was we would struggle. I couldn't envision anything else. The O-line would take time, the young receivers would need reps, and the offense as a whole would be a work in progress. That's not a bad thing either. You make your mistakes early, you gain confidence, and then it all comes together in October and November. With this staff, you have to believe that. The defense is another matter. Everyone said they would be good, but are you kidding me? The number one defense in the country as of this week. All hail Don Brown. That D is the reason I'm not worried about the offense so much. When you have a D like we do, you can play to your strength. It is a great luxury, and most teams in the Big Ten, or anywhere else for that matter, don't have that luxury. Let's enjoy the process of watching Jim Harbaugh and this staff mold this young team into Jim's vision of what a good football team should be. And buckle up, there will be more bumps in the road, maybe even a few potholes along the way, but by late October, I think Jim Harbaugh will have this team on a smooth, straight road. I could be wrong, but I think we're going to be a tough team to beat from here on out, regardless of who is under center the rest of the way. Greg Skrepinik loves his Wolverines, and even though he thinks it's a stretch to expect this team can win the Big Ten this year, he says that has to be our expectation. He says his old teammate and current head coach Jim Harbaugh believes what their old coach told them many years ago. What the mind can believe, the mind can achieve. And those who stay will be champions. And I know you've heard that before. Wolverine great Greg Skrepinik is up next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Here with us on our Michigan Game Day segment on this bye week is Michigan great Greg Skrepinik joining us to talk about Saturday's win in West Lafayette and more as we enter again this bye week. Greg, great to have you back with us. Mike, always a pleasure. 
Well, Greg, let's start with the subject Michigan fans I know have been buzzing about since Saturday. John O'Corn taking over for the injured Wilton Spate in that game Saturday against Purdue. What did you think of his performance? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, for a backup quarterback to come in and actually play with more confidence and more poise as a starter uh, certainly tells you how that young man has prepared for this season. Uh, kudos to Jim Harbaugh and his staff for the way they've coached him. But, you know, you stand up and applaud uh, the kid O'Corn for what he did. And he came in, he uh, he was nothing short that I thought of spectacular. Uh, and it's very difficult sometimes when you don't get the reps that you you want to come in and perform at the level he did. He proved, like I said, to be more poised. Uh, he was more elusive in the pocket. He seemed to be smooth. And uh, you know, he, his legs got him out of trouble, got us, you know, got got out of the pocket a couple of times, extended plays. So what he did uh, should excite you know, Michigan fans. At the same time, you kind of wonder now that this is going to create a quarterback controversy when State comes back. Uh, we hope State is uh, is going to be back soon. I believe it. what it looked like to me was a concussion-like uh, hit. But uh, you really have to be uh, pleased with John O'Corn. And like I said, uh, congratulations to him being prepared as he was to come into that game. Well, Jim did not have much to say after the game about Wilton's injury. It looked like it could have been shoulder and head injury, the way he got hit and went down. The only thing he said after the game is there was no structural damage, and I have no idea what that means. So we'll have to wait and see. We have the Monday presser coming up today, see what the extent of that injury is. Even if he's healthy, do you think O'Korn's performance might have earned him a start uh, or more playing time, Greg? Oh, I definitely think it's going to earn him more playing time, whether or not he starts is, is to be seen. I mean, it's always a, a general rule of thumb that, that players don't lose positions because of injury. However, when somebody else comes in to perform in the way that John O'Corn did, uh, it, it creates uh, a decision that Jim Harbaugh is going to have to make. But I believe one that he welcomes. This is exactly what he's wanted to do from day one when he came to Michigan was create competition among the players. And this is what exactly has happened. Now, there's a nice competition going on now uh, between his quarterbacks. He has choices now. Michigan fans could, you know, could rest comfortably knowing that I think both of them are very capable. Both of them have proven themselves to be able to win. But when you look at, at just the, the past uh, of, uh, past games and even at the end of last year, uh, Spate was struggling with his confidence. Spate, uh, I think, is more than capable, has proved himself to, to be able to win games. But ever since last year, that injury – you know, in the Iowa game, uh, he has really struggled. You know, with his with his confidence, and I think that has been his his biggest uh, his biggest problem to date. And I believe it's it's also that he pushes himself to the point of wanting to be perfect. And through that perfection, he actually become imperfect. He's trying, you know, too hard. He doesn't look smooth. He doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. You know, little things, you know, handing off the ball becomes hard. Even trying to get some passes off, uh, you know, he fumbles a little bit. So I believe his confidence was rattled. But there's one thing that could shake that out, you know, that could put that back on track. His backup quarterback coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to take advantage of my opportunity doing it. Now maybe he'll forget about trying to be so perfect and just going out and playing football like he knows how. So I think uh, it's a great position to be in for Coach Harbaugh, but I do believe John O'Corn has played him way, has played himself into more playing time at least. But I'd probably suspect he may be starting as well. That's sort of my hunch because I cannot see it. Jim Harbaugh is not a two-quarterback guy, is he? I don't think so. I think he realizes as a quarterback – that a two-quarterback system is a difficult one. But I do believe that he planned on playing a corn a lot more up until this point, except uh, everything was just going uh, going well enough to where he didn't have to play him. But Jim knows that it's very difficult to be in a two-quarterback system, especially when the quarterbacks are so similar. There's really nothing that that stands out to you, uh, you know, that one doesn't do that the other doesn't. As I said, a corn looked a lot smoother. He looked a lot, little bit more athletic. He looked, his legs got him out of uh, some, some bad positions. So he may be a little bit more athletic, but it's not as if 
you're going from uh, a running quarterback to uh, a, a drop back passer. These guys are pretty much the same quarterback to drop back. They're big guys to drop back passers to strong arm guys. So. I don't think it's really a two-quarterback system based on talent. You look around college football today, there are a lot of teams, though, that do run two quarterbacks. We saw that Saturday, Purdue uh, running two kids in and out of there. I mean, from a, a player's perspective, Greg, when you've got that, you know, every few series, you've got a new quarterback in there. How difficult for the offensive line, the receivers, and for everyone is that to adjust to? Well, it's difficult in that the continuity's not there. You know, different, you know, especially quarterbacks, they have different voices. They their the count. They say the count differently. And just to get used to, you know, uh, the little idiosyncrasies that, that each person has. So it takes us a time to get adjusted to that. But outside of that, I don't think it's, it's, it's a, that big of a deal. Um, and like I said, you talk about the two quarterbacks. And most people who run two quarterback systems have quarterbacks that are totally opposite. These guys aren't totally opposite. Why one may do something a little better than the other, they're not opposite guys. So that makes the transition a little smoother as well. So uh, I don't see it as, as a big deal. Um, Jim Beckler used to always tell us that, hey, if a guy went down, the next guy comes in and plays better. That was the expectation at Michigan. For some reason, I think it kind of gotten, you know, gotten away from that. That's exactly what happened uh, on Saturday is, you know, State went down, O'Corn came in, and he played better. And, and, and that's, that's great to see. And that's a, a credit, like I said, to O'Corn, but also a credit to Jim Harbaugh and his staff for preparing these kids to be ready to play. You've been watching the offensive line play very closely through the first four games. Can you share with us some of the positives you've seen from these guys and also some of the reasons you think they're struggling for consistency at times? Well, I think, you know, continuity again, you know, getting used to each other and playing their young group. I think, if you, Mike, if you really look at, at uh, the season, per se, the good news is we're 4-0. Uh, the bad news is we've been inconsistent. Uh, especially on the opposite, opposite side of the ball. In fact, probably only on the opposite, <laughs> offensive side of the ball. The defense has played very well and is one of the best in the country, and that's it, it's it's great to see. But offensively, just the inconsistency because I think they're not used to playing with each other, just starting to you know, to get things going, uh, the, the seeing different defenses. When you're young, going into a hostile atmosphere like West Lafayette down in Purdue, uh, it creates um, – another challenge. So they're all getting used to what's going on. Right guard, or you're platooning a little bit with two guys. Uh, Right tackle, you know, just getting used to playing. Uh, So your left guard, you know, Cole just went from center to to left tackle. You know, they're just getting used to playing on the left side. So they're just, you know, starting to, you know, get moving, starting to get to know each other. And here's what people don't understand. And I hate to say it this way, but it's almost as if the rule changes in the game of football – you know, they've taken the football player out of football. And what I mean by that is that you just can't be the, uh, you know, the rotten, beat-up type football player, the old type, old-school, old-fashioned type football player that we've had in days old, because you don't practice as much. You can't practice as much. And that practice not there where you're just you know, going in and, and, and pounding each other every day, going through the shoots, going through one-on-one pass drills, going through inside run drills. You can't do that. And I understand why, the safety of the game, but there's something, there's going to be a consequence to that. And that consequence is actually felt through the NFL. You can see it now. Players aren't as polished as they should be. They're not getting the reps in practice as they should, should have, they would have gotten prior to all these rule changes. Heck, they couldn't even, you know, in doubles, you can't even go back-to-back padded practices. You know what? While that might be very difficult for a player, that's what made you better. And when you have a, a young group like Michigan has up front, you're going to take you longer now to, to get to where you want to go simply because you can't get the reps in practice. That's kind of hindered this group a little bit too because uh, uh, they have to get all their reps or most of their, their, their work in game situations, which is um, – unfair to these players, but understandably so. I, I get it because of uh, the concussion issues and the physical issues associated with the game. So they're just, they're, they're moving along. They're coming along. Um, like I said, the inconsistency is probably something you could expect, especially from younger players. 
but uh, they have to continue to improve. They have to continue to work together. Uh, I would, you know, I would suggest, you know, even off the field, spending as much time with each other as possible. And, and most of those guys do that. And, and so uh, I suspect as the season goes on, they will get better. Last week after the Air Force game, Jim kept using the word patience, and he used that in his uh, radio show on Monday. And he was, you know, talking about the fact that these are a lot of young guys, uh, not only on the offensive line, but the receiver positions. And that he said, you know, the only way to get better is to play. And these guys are working their way through it, and they'll get better. He's sure that they're going to get better. But I think that probably sums it up for fans. That word patience, that is a hard thing to bottle for the Michigan fan base <laughs> right now. You know, as a, as a former player, I certainly appreciate the patience. term a little easier and probably would promote it a little more when I played. But as a fan myself, sometimes it gets a little uh, difficult to be a little patient because you're just so excited. You want these kids to succeed so much. They represent something that is part of you and, and that means so much to you. And you just want them to get out of every out of it what you got out of it, and you want them to be successful. And but Jim's right, and he's the coach. Uh, he understands. He's been around uh, the block. Uh, he's been on every level, and he knows. I mean, we're we're four and zero. We're four and zero. Maybe it hasn't been the prettiest four and zero, but we're in a position that our defense is playing lights out. They're going to keep us in every game that we play, and now we just improve offensively. Things will get better. And now you're dealing with not only young kids, but now we have a couple key injuries to you know throw in that into the mix. And now you have to be a little bit more patient because positions change, new people are coming in, and so and defenses, the defenses that you're facing are changing as well. So uh, yeah, that's a great term, albeit hard to accept at times. But like I said before, the good news four and zero. And, you know, it would seem we're on the right track. We're moving forward. And uh, I, I, gr- I agree with Jim that we just be patient because I believe in my heart that these there's some great people up front, some good athletes, and, and they're going to together, and, and they will improve as the season goes on. You mentioned, Greg, uh, rule changes as far as practice goes, but a rule change sort of um, getting on my last nerve at times during the game is the targeting. Now, Purdue, it affected them big time on Saturday. They had two guys booted for targeting as a, as a former player in college and in the NFL, this rule, I mean, I know it's for the safety of the players, but it is just being so widely interpreted. And I don't know, what do you think of it? Talk about inconsistencies. It's the way the referees call this penalty that drives you nuts. Now, most of the targeting, so-called targeting that I see, is inadvertent contact. It's just something that happens during the game. And that's the problem with the interpretation. The spirit of the rule is intended to protect players. But when it's inadvertent, it's inadvertent, then you're, it doesn't fit the spirit of the rule. But these referees, a lot of them are just uh, you know, enforcing it by the letter of the law. And that's where, you get, you know, that's where you get upset and that's where you get confused and that's where you get really, this rule becomes uh, cumbersome. And so uh, it's one that it's very difficult as a former player because you know that's going to happen. That kind of contact is going to happen. As long as you're not using your helmet uh, as a weapon, as long as you're not just putting your helmet down and not looking at what you're hitting, as, as long as you're not trying to intentionally uh, hurt an individual, uh, I, I believe that that rule needs to be, at least the spirit of that rule needs to be more enforced rather than the letter of the law. Now, we can make an argument, Mike, that when Wilton Spade hit, that was targeted. There was helmet-to-helmet contact, and he was clearly sitting on the ground when he got hit. In fact, I was listening to the broadcast on the radio, and Dan Deardorff had said the same thing. Very easily could have been a targeting penalty. He was in a vulnerable position, sitting on the ground. The man brought his, his weight down. His helmet hit the deal, hit his helmet. And so that could have been, you know, you know by the letter of the law, a targeting call. It wasn't even mentioned. Nobody even blinked an eye. It just, you know, they move forward as our quarterback ends up being taken out of the game. Do I think it was intentional? No. Do I think it should have been called? Probably not. But that's, that's where it becomes a ticky-tack rule and needs to be, I think these referees who enforce this rule just need to use some common sense and let these kids play. Don't take them out of the game that they've worked so hard to be in 
No one wants to. You don't want to play against a team that doesn't have its best player. You just want to play. To be the best, you want to play the best. And so, and you want to have your best when you're playing them. So you don't want to see, you know, kids, uh, these fine young men who worked so hard to get to this point, uh, be taken from a contest that, you know, that inadvertently because, just because of what football does. I mean, it, it just happens to be that way. As long as it's not, you know, an egregious, intentional hit, which I think you could tell in many ways. So I think the referees just need to look at just to need to use a little bit more common sense and, and hopefully they can clean up that rule. We could do a couple of shows on, on that rule, as unhappy as fans <laughs> are with that, and coaches, I think, too. But anyway, looking at this team again, Greg, despite the offensive struggles, and, and they've, for the most part, been in the red zone, we've moved it from the 20 to the 20 uh, pretty well through the first four games. And the running numbers, running game numbers, really not that bad. Um, we've been using Ty Isaac, who looked dinged up still on Saturday, I thought. Chris Evans, who... We saw with a little jump in his step, uh, which was good to see Saturday. And Karan Higdon just doing what he does, which is squeeze out yards. And he's tough to find coming out of that line of scrimmage behind that big offensive line. So they've all had their moments. Overall, are you happy with the production we're getting from this trio so far? Well, I'll tell you what. The, the, my happiest surprise of the season has to be Ty uh, and, and plus, it's such, so great to see knowing what that young man has been through. And seeing him produce on the field just makes you smile from ear to ear. Uh, it's great to see. But, yeah, overall, I- I'm happy with this group. Um, I think sometimes uh, you have to see and take how the game is flowing to see which one you're going to use more or which one fits the circumstance more. But I think there's three very capable kids, although I do believe Ty Isaac has has come to the forefront a little bit. The only knock I would have on Ty Isaac is that, you know, sometimes, you know, you could dance, you know, you could dance side to side a little more in plays and others you have to hit the hole. Short more short yardage situations, you gotta be a little bit more aggressive hitting the hole and don't get you don't get caught not moving your feet forward or, or moving them lateral because it slows you down and then you give them the momentum and if they have any kind of penetration whatsoever, um you're, you know, you're going to get stuffed. But outside of that, his patience and his side-to-side abilities, you know, similar to what Le'Veon Bell does in the NFL, has been very productive. He gets to the hole. He runs hard. He is, he's done a nice job. But uh, as far as Evans and, and Hitchin, though, I think they're very capable. And, and, and as Ty Isaacs, you know, if he is a little banged up, as I said, more than capable. And our offensive line will continue to get better as they play together and they get more reps on the field. Fans are fans, media is media, and we've been hearing from some of them in September that they've thought the play calling has been vanilla, it's been conservative, and maybe it has, but I always go back to the fact that Jim knows what he's doing with this team. And I think a part of what we've seen so far, Greg, is you have to be able to run your base offense well before you can start opening up that playbook with all these young guys in the field. So maybe it has been vanilla, but I think it's been out of necessity so far this season You've got to do some things well before you can branch out. And I have no problem with the play calling, but we've been hearing some complaints about that. Greg, what do you think? Well, I, too, think the offense has been a little vanilla. I mean, that's the perfect world, uh, the word to use. Um, I don't believe I've seen anything out of the ordinary or something that upsets me. What I think has to happen, and I think they did it a little bit in the second half, I think we have to throw the ball a little bit more on first down. Uh, because everyone knows what we want to do. Everyone knows what Jim Harbaugh wants to do. He wants to run the football. You know, his, the two key positions in his offense are his fullback and tight end. That's all, as old school football as could possibly be. But the way you use that now is a lot different than you know than when Schembechler used it back even previously before that. Well, you just can't you know pound it up in the hole. You have to open it up a little bit so you're able to pound it up. But at the same time, you have to realize that this is a young team. And, you know, not only up front are you young, your quarterback, you know, in relative inexperience, even though Alcorn did start at Houston and, and Spade had had it all last year, you're still relatively young at that position. you got a couple backs still on their way, too. And on top of it, you have young receivers. You know, young receivers that really, um, you know, you just, you know, you don't know. You still don't know. So you'd rather than just throw them to the wolves. You want to ease everybody into this. And, and plus it's not as if we're not 
putting being put in a position to score because our problem hasn't been you know moving the football. Our problem has been getting into the end zone, the red zone, and that's a whole different ball game. So it's not as if we haven't moved the ball. It's not as if we haven't been able to run. It's not as if that we haven't had some pass. But I, I see what I see sometimes. I think that. Yeah, you know, I know we want to run the football. I'd like to see our formations, which I believe sometimes are bunched too much, you know, spread out a little bit. And the reason I say that is because when everyone wants to know we want to run, and when you bunch formations, you also bunch the defense. Inadvertently, you bring all those defenders right there to you. So that is the only reason I'd like to see them spread it out a little bit in terms of formation. But I really don't have an issue with the play calling or, or what's, what the idea of what is behind what they're doing is because um, I think we're moving the football. We're just not, you know, scoring in the red zone. With us here on our Michigan Game Day segment during the bye week as we talk about what happened uh, in West Lafayette and through the first four games this season is uh, Michigan great Greg Skrepanek. Greg, another thing I think about is Jim and the staff knew coming into the season they didn't have to rush this offense because our defense was going to be very good and give the offense, you know, the time they needed to develop. I'm not sure if they knew the defense would be this good, though. Have you ever seen a Michigan defense with as many guys as we can put on the field that can fly to the ball? I'll tell you, I was watching the game on Saturday, and, and you know what? After the first half, you know, you got to be concerned. It's like, man, and then you see, you know, see them using a little bit of misdirection, taking advantage of some of our aggressive play. Uh, towards the end of the half there, and it's like, oh, boy, what, you know, what's going to happen now? But I'll tell you what, the greatest thing that this defense does is adjust. You know, they make a mistake, that mistake doesn't happen again. And that is what is the impressive thing to me, is is what the defense, uh, you know, has done. And, and, you know, Don Brown, what he has been able to relate to these, these kids, and they absorb it like a sponge, and then they just go out and they perform. It has been most impressive. I felt that the defense was going to be good, but I don't think it was going to be as good as it's been playing. And like I said before, with a defense like this, you know, you don't have to be impatient. It allows you to be more patient offensively because you don't have to. You don't have to push the panic button, so to speak. You don't have I, years past five, six, seven years ago. The offense took the field knowing that every time they took the field, they had to score in order to be in football games. This is absolutely not the case now, where our defense is as good as any in the country, and they're still young, and they're still improving. And that's the scary thing. They're still improving. But most impressive job by the defense and Coach Brown. Uh, Unbelievable how they played so far. I know. Saturday, as you said, I, I was a little bit nervous in the first half. I thought, well, uh, they've got, you know, their trick plays and they're, they're moving the ball some. But those adjustments at halftime, I mean, when you, I didn't realize it until after the game when I saw the stat sheet, 10 yards total offense for Purdue in the second half. That is, talk about adjustments. I mean, that is just shutting them down. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really uncanny. I mean, I, I too, I, I saw Purdue moving the ball a little bit saying, oh man, I, not that our defense was playing poorly. I thought they were playing well, but Purdue just got a couple of looks and, and, and did a couple of misdirection plays. Uh, came back and uh, you know, scored right after we scored. And it's like, oh, what happened there? But, uh, and you know what? If you look at the game, and it even said it during the broadcast, I believe, they come off on the sidelines. They make their adjustments right there. They go back out and they seem okay. They seem to have shut, you know, that what beat them previously down. And this is, this is basically with a lot of young kids and a lot of so inexperienced, because the defensive side of the ball was supposed to be inexperienced as well, although they did have a lot more playing time than some of the other guys, uh, but they certainly didn't have as much as, as, as previous defenses. So what, what they've done, uh, the defensive staff and Coach Brown and these kids, I'll tell you, talk about buying into a system. They bought into a system, and they go out there, and they play, and they play hard, and they play well. And you know, Greg, I think two years ago, if you would have asked a Michigan fan, hey, would you like Don Brown to be hired as a defensive coordinator? I think most fans would have said, hey, who is he? Where does he coach? <laughs> uh, of course, we know now he is just one terrific coach and football mind, isn't he? Well, think about it. When, when we lost our defensive coordinator, and he went to Maryland, and it's like, oh, boy, what, what do we do now? Because we just had an 
a heck of a defensive team. And then, you know, he hires Don Brown, and you say to yourself, oh, okay, uh, I know. I mean, I knew who Don Brown was and stuff, and I know his, his Boston College uh, defense was the best in the country. And I'm thinking, all right, Jim, uh, this could be a good hire. Well, little that I know is one of the greatest hires he probably ever had because what he's been able to do is nothing short of spectacular. It really is amazing. And this doesn't happen. I mean, this is – you don't uh, replace – uh, so many uh, defense that he had last year, you know, with so many guys that went on to the NFL with a better defense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who does that? That that's unheard of. And he literally can argue that you know this defense may be better than the one they had a year ago with so many NFL picks and guys that are playing professionally now. That is is that's beautiful. I mean that. That's something that should excite every Michigan fan out there on any level, whether or not our offense is scoring or not, whether or not you see that if you think they're vanilla or this, this defense is for real. This defense is it's fun to watch. This defense plays like they want a defense to play. They're aggressive. They swarm to the ball. They, you know, they don't, you know, they learn from their mistakes and then they, they go out there and they, they just perform and it's fun to watch. I'm an offensive guy, and I like offensive football, but to see these guys play, it's nice. It really is nice to see, and, and I, I get excited to watch them. Well, here we are in the bye week. We're 4-0. and uh, Fans are still nervous about the offense. I'm sure we're going to hear that for the next two weeks. Uh, who's the quarterback going to be? Uh, is our secondary going to be okay? That's still something I hear a lot of fans talking about. I mean, there's always something to worry about, but all things considered, I think we have to be happy with the way this team is playing right now, Greg. And, you know, I always say when you have a young team, you make your mistakes in September because I think the best is yet to come in October and November from these guys. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I think I think we all got spoiled early with the game against Florida because, you know, you, you go out, you beat an SEC team like Florida like in the fashion that we did, and everyone thinks that's going to happen every week. After the Florida game, I, I was – dumbfounded in a sense because I'm thinking wow, I, of course I expect to win but I never expected to win in the fashion that we did. And I think you know the expectation then becomes okay, every game should be like this. Every game should be like this. But you forget that all summer you prepare for this one game in Florida. So now as you get into the normal routine of the season, this is you know especially for a little bit more inexperienced team, this is when it becomes the challenge. And, of course, you know, you've seen some of the challenges that we've had over the last three weeks. And, and so, you know, you, you have those, you know, those little bumps in, in the road and you, you know, move forward and, you, you know, you adjust. And, you know, you're 4-0 in the bye week. And I guess the bye week really comes at a good time with some guys out, uh, especially uh, with Spade out, receivers out, you know, a couple guys banged up. This is a, a good time to have a bye week. It gives time, you know, time for these guys to heal, and it also gives, you know, gives the coaching staff a chance to, you know, take a deep breath and, and, and evaluate and see and, and to move forward. So there's no, there's nothing wrong with the way things have gone. Of course, every fan in America wants it to be a fifty to nothing blowout every week. It's just not going to happen. Especially Purdue is a pretty good football team. Purdue is a real good football team. They, they've done a complete turnaround down there. Defense is formidable. The offense moved the ball a little bit. They certainly don't have the depth that a Michigan has, but you got to give Purdue credit. They're not a bad football team. And guess what? There's some great football teams coming up, too. I mean, this, this, we happen to be in a, um, in a conference, actually a division. Uh, well, how State, I've seen they, they just, you know, moved out of the top ten. But we're in a division that basically has three of the top ten teams in the country. You know, and we're going to play, you know, of course, we're one of them. And then you got, you know, the two others. Oh, and by the way, I do believe we play Wisconsin this year, too, do we not? Which is some, some real good football teams coming up. So, uh, you know, no time uh, to uh, to get rattled. Everything is fine. Jim Harbaugh is an excellent coach. He has an excellent staff. They'll use this week, like I said, to reevaluate and, and just make sure everything's heading in the right uh, direction. Adjust a little bit if they have to, and these kids can get a little healthy and, and, and get a little R&R that they need, and then we can get ready for the next big test. And, of course, our next one is a big one, too. Well, that's right. We know who's up next. Um, and, and usually I'm not a fan of the uh, the bye week being this early in the season, but 
Uh, right now, especially with Wilton being dinged up, um, I don't think it's bad at all. So as we said, we know who's next, a visit from the Spartans. Uh, have you had a chance or did you get a chance to see any of the uh, the Michigan State-Notre Dame games Saturday? I, I saw a little bit. I saw a little bit. Um, but you could erase everything that's happened previously with Sparty right now. This is the Michigan-Michigan State game. It doesn't matter if uh, you know we're 0-4-4-0, they're 0-4-4-0, 2-2. This is going to be a, you know, a game in itself. This is almost a season in itself. Uh, both teams do not like each other. Of course, Michigan State always feels disrespected for Michigan. So uh, that, you know, that's playing. The last time they played the big house, we know what happened. So uh, it's, it's, you don't need any extra motivation this week. You don't need to know what the records are. You don't need to know anything else that you're playing Michigan State, and that's all you need to know. And so uh, it's going to be a good, tough physical football game like they always are. Uh, it's going to be a, a game that probably Michigan State will probably play their best game ever. You know, it's funny, Mike. I, I'm just thinking about this. Michigan has now become everybody's red-letter game again. That's where it always was when, when I played and previously, uh, you know, in the 90s, back, you know, when Schembechler came in 69, you know, we become the red-letter game on everyone's schedule now, again. And so um, everyone's going to give us their best effort. Everyone's going to want to knock us off. I mean, heck, before the Purdue game, you had, you know, their kids predicted victory, guaranteeing victory that they're going to beat us. The Penn State game, it's their big whiteout game on, uh, on prime time on a Saturday night. They're calling all the forces because, of course, what happened to them last year, but the big game for them is the Michigan game. They owe the white letter, you know, the whiteout and so forth. So we become everybody's red letter game. And so Michigan State's certainly going to have us at that big red letter game because, um, you know, you know, things haven't gone well for them uh, in, in, in last year or so. And so they're to get right, to right all their wrongs over the last year at the beginning of this season, they're going to say, okay, we beat Michigan and we're back on track. So we're back to being that red-letter game, and that's exactly where we want to be. And this is exactly why you go to Michigan. This is exactly why you're a Michigan fan. To be the best, you have to play the best. And, you know, so it's going to be exciting to see, you know, the game in a couple weeks. I'm excited to be, you know, I'm going to be up there and Coach Hanlon and Coach Burton are going to be honored, uh, former coaches of uh, of the Wolverines, uh, Friday before the game. I'm excited to go to that and then the big game on Saturday. So we'll see, um, but uh, I'm excited to see. And I can tell you something, too, Mike, and I got, I got to say this because <laughs> this kid has been spectacular. We're talking about the Michigan defense before, but Devin Bush has been all over the field. He has absolutely been all over the field, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, his play as being some of the most outstanding defensive play I've seen in, in recent in, in recent uh, Michigan history, as well as you know Chase Winovich as well, uh, who no one really knew much of before the season, goes out there and just plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. But Devin Bush, and hats off to that young man for the you know for what he's done so far this season. I hope he continues uh, that play and, and, and really, I think, in a great defense that could, has a number of players that have been playing well, Devin Bush has been the catalyst and, and certainly needs to be mentioned. I agree with you 100%. He's like a, a guided missile out there. I, I was watching the game Saturday and I thought, it's almost like watching a video game watching him play. He's everywhere. Everywhere. It's like he goes from sideline to sideline, makes plays, seems to always be in the right position. And it's just something that you just you don't see very often. You don't see a guy, on that, and he's not a very big guy. He's not a very big guy when it comes to stature, but he plays as big as can be. You know, you know where he's at. He has an impact on every game. He's in position. He's making key plays. He's making big plays. He's making. He's going from sideline to sideline, like I said, and it's just something that uh, is impressive. Is very impressive to watch. It is impressive, and the one thing I love to watch with him is he is so fundamentally sound. He has to make a lot of open field tackles. He's got those feet set, those shoulders squared. He is a heck of an open field tackler, Greg. I'll tell you what, as a defensively as a whole, they are very sound when it comes to fundamentals. I'm sure you know Don Brown would probably tell us otherwise because you go to practice, of course, you want to you, you, you practice every day to be perfect, so there's no mistakes and such. So you're constantly repping, doing those things. But from a, from a, just a general sense, 
their defense is very, very sound and always seems to be in position. But him personally, I'll tell you, he just seems to be there. I would imagine being an offensive coordinator for an opposing team, looking at the way this guy plays and say, well, how do we get, how do we block this guy? He's everywhere. You know, he's everywhere. How do you block this guy? What do we have to do to, to block this guy? That's why Purdue had to run a lot of misdirection because, you know, they have to do something to offset, you know, seeing a guy like, like Bush in their face constantly. So what do you do? Let's try some misdirection. Let's try a little, you know, a couple of trick plays here and there, see if they work. And of course, uh, the one did. And, and, and that's, that that's what the offenses seem to have have to do. He has been very, very, very impressive and spectacular on the defensive side of the ball. But don't take away from anything else, too. He has a great defensive line in front of him. You know, uh, Gary and Hurst and those guys. And like I said, Chris Winovich has probably been a pleasant surprise to watch him. Because I don't think any of us seen seen uh, his play coming. But. Um, that defense is, is certainly fun to watch. I agree. And Winovich, uh, you know, coming out of spring practice, though, a lot of the guys, especially some of the uh, departing players from last year, said, hey, watch out for Winovich. This guy is going to make it happen this year. Six sacks. He's the Walter Camp Defensive Player of the uh, the Week in college football. That guy's motor just runs all the time. He, uh, You talk about Devin Bush being in people's faces. He is... <laughs> He's just outstanding so far. He, he's an offensive lineman's nightmare, a guy who doesn't, you know, doesn't stop. You know, that's the, the offensive line, you know, nightmare. When you're an offensive lineman, you prepare to, you know, to, you know, play a guy who's a big, strong guy, you play a quick guy or a guy that can get past the field. But the one thing that you can never prepare for is a guy that won't stop, a guy that just continues to go and go and go and go, like the Energizer Bunny, if you will. It just keeps going and going because that means you constantly have to try to keep up with them because offensive defensive line players like the chess game, you move, he moves, you move, he moves. Well, when he, you know, if he stops moving, then you're good offensive lineman. Yeah, this is exactly what I want. But when he doesn't stop moving, now you become that nightmare for the offensive line because, you know, as, as he reacts and, and you react and he reacts, it just constantly keeps you moving and he seems to get the edge better more often than not. You know, and that he just doesn't stop, and he makes play after play after play. So he has just been uh, a load for to, to block for a lot of these teams, and I would imagine uh, much the same in the future. And if, if if they said that out of spring, now you can imagine now what they're saying now. And so, so just the tandem of those two, Winovich and Bush, if you're an offense coordinator, you just have a lot of trouble. And then that's not even to mention – you know, Rashawn Gary and, and, you know, guys like Kirsten and, and McCray, who've also been playing well. I mean, it's nice to say when your unsung guys are some of the best guys you have on defense because, you know, Devin Bush and guys like Winovich are playing so well. It's nice to say, well, Rashawn Gary and, and Maurice Hurst and, 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 and Mike McCray and some of these other guys, well, they're a little bit unsung now because these other guys have just have a play at such a high level. You know, so it, it is you know, one of the best defenses there for real. I hope they stay healthy, but I do know we're, we're deep, in, you know, especially up front, and, and it's going to be fun and interesting to watch as, as this season progresses. Well, final question for you, Greg. Uh, the Big Ten, uh, pretty impressive in the non-conference uh, slate, and it looks like we have some improved teams. We saw one of those, I think, on Saturday in Purdue. Maryland, which went down and just thumped Texas in the opener. Now, they, they had a tough game, lost on Saturday. Even Penn State, as good as they've looked through the first two games, they go down to Iowa City on Saturday and win the game on the last play. Lucky to get out of there. We know what it's like to play at Kinnick Stadium. But whoever wins the Big Ten East and even the West is going to have to be a darn good football team this year, Greg. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. In fact, uh, you, know, you could argue that, you know, of uh, uh, the three-headed monster right now in the East between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, you're going to have a very tough football game no matter what, uh, just the way it is. And um, it's a shame that all three of those teams happen not only to be in our conference, but happen to be on our side of the division as well. That's, that's a tall order. But as I said before, Mike, to be the best, you have to play the best. There is not a Michigan guy out there that's worth their salt. There's not a guy on that team. There's not a guy on that coaching staff that doesn't want to play the best teams in the country. And that's the bottom line. You want, you want to test yourself and you want to find out and you want to play the game at its highest level. So 
you want to play the best teams in the country. And I don't think they would want it any other way because you have to earn. In, in an era where things aren't earned and in an era where we're giving kids, you know, you know, participation trophies and we're just handing them things just for the sake of handing them where they don't earn it, you want to earn your position. You want to earn your championship. You want to earn your way. And there's no doubt about it that this Michigan football team will have to have earned its, uh, its way as the season progresses if they want to win the East or if they want to win the Big Ten championship. We are going to have to earn it. And as you said, that's the way any Michigan man would want it. Uh, but when you look at this schedule, Greg, from here on out, you know, before the season started, I think some people said, oh, that's a W, that's a W. But I'm looking at the schedule thinking there's not a gimme on that's left on the schedule. Every Saturday, we're going to have to bring it. There's no doubt. And this is typical Big Ten football. And I'm glad to see that the conference is back where it should have been in a while. But, you know, there are some teams out there that, uh, you know, weren't traditional powerhouses. But you knew every time you want to play them, they're going to play you tough. And that was the thing about Big Ten football, that no matter who you played, you knew on any given Saturday that you could be upset. Well, you know, there was a hiatus there where that, that wasn't so, where you could go to some of these teams and you just kind of have an inter-squad scrimmage, so to speak. Well, Big Ten football is back to the point where now you've got to go to these places and they're coming to you and you've got to play week in and week out. Because any given Saturday, this team can knock you off. And that, that was the that was what Big Ten football was all about. And a lot of people outside the conference never realized that or understood that. And that's why it was such a hard season. And many people didn't realize the toll that season took on you be simply because that each Big Ten team wanted to just beat the other Big Ten team. And then they were physical contests. They were hard contests. They took their toll. And it made for a great, great football. Uh, although it might have hurt us out of conference and in bowl season a little bit, uh, it was just what Big Ten football was all about. And so when whoever hoists that Big Ten championship trophy at the end of the season will have earned their way, and it'll be something that, you know, is certainly still worth it. And hopefully that will be, you know, the voice in blue. But there's no doubt about it that Big Ten football is back where it should have been and back where it was. It's back to where it should have been. It's, you know, it's all it's like the, it's, it's all all's well right now in college football, if you ask me because Big Ten is back where it belongs. Our guest on this week's show has been Michigan great Greg Skrepanik with his uh, thoughts on the season to date and what lies ahead for us. Greg, always a pleasure to uh, have you join us, and we look forward to that next visit. Go Blue. Go Blue, Mike. Thank you very much, and you guys have a great day. Quick Hits is next as we wrap up this week's game day show here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the Vsporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Quick hits today. Chase Winovich piled up honors this week. He was the Walter Camp College Football Defensive Player of the Week and Co-Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Here are some notes from Jim Harbaugh's presser on Monday. No updates on Tariq Black and whether he may return this season. Harbaugh said all of the coaches are doing a fine job. As long as Don Brown's good, I'm good. He said Michigan overcame the elements on a very hot day on Saturday. He said Michigan's players were fast and physical against Purdue. He pointed out Winovich, Hurst, Bush, Gary, and also had praise for the secondary. Jim said O'Corn saw things well. He liked his mechanics. He played a good game in all respects. Harbaugh said he prefers games have noon or 1 p.m. kickoffs, prefers Saturday, not weekday games, Sundays, or night games. He said Spade is a very tough guy, and he is hopeful he's going to be back soon. He said on losing momentum on bye week, we treat it as an improvement week. He also said gamesmanship should cease at line of safety for players. He wants the Big Ten commissioner to look into visiting team care immediately. Enough space, x-rays, sanitary bathrooms, etc., etc. 
Harbaugh said he wished he had taken a picture of the table injured players are put on down at Purdue. He said it looked like it was from the 1920s. Needed a brace for a player and there wasn't one at the facility that he was taken to. Harbaugh said he'd ask all the Big Ten coaches to look into it as well and make it a priority. We'll start with us first, Jim said. Jim also said U of M will do everything they can for visitors to provide a level of care. He said Purdue didn't have air conditioning in visiting locker rooms, very small space for training room, said it wasn't much different from when he was a player there in 1986. Spade had to go somewhere else to get x-rays because Purdue did not have a facility for that. On Wilton Spade, Jim said if U of M was playing a game this week, he would not be able to play. Harbaugh calls the hit Spate was injured on egregious, said if he had a stronger word for it, he'd use it. Our free show app is available now from the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us on iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to comment or rate us. Thanks in advance. Thanks again to our guest today, Michigan great Greg Skrepinik. On Thursday, Steve Lorenz joins me for our September Michigan Man Extra. It's kind of quiet on the recruiting scene right now, but Steve will have the latest news for us, and of course, we'll get his take on Michigan's play through the first four games. That will do it for today's game day edition of the show. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Make sure you come back on Thursday for our Michigan Man Extra with Steve Lorenz. Until then, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!